with me if you would there's ephesians chapter 2 paul's epistle to the ephesians chapter 2 and let us read from verse 19 now therefore ye are no more strangers uh, and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and so on. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19. Ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, and of the household of God. The apostle brings us to think upon the household of God. If you were to be asked today what you think of the church, what you think the church is, if you were to ask uh, or be asked, what is your view of the church of Jesus Christ? What would your answer be? You would find that many people would give different answers to that question. They would give a different answer even as to what a Christian is. They would say a Christian is someone who perhaps gives to charity, charitable giving, good to charity, gives to the poor. A Christian is someone that's good to their neighbor. All these things may be true, but that's not a Christian. That is not the ultimate definition of a Christian. And that is not the definition of the church. The church is not there just to be a conduit for charity. There is a, a more fundamental issue that describes and establishes what the church is. And Paul brings us to that in these verses. It is, in fact, a culmination of everything that he's already written in verses one, in chapters 1 and 2. We have already looked at the beginning of these chapters, and you see at the beginning of the chapter, he tells, you, tells the, the, those in Ephesus how the church at Ephesus has been established, and how they as Christians have been brought to be Christians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, and having predestined us the adoption of children. So the, the apostle at the beginning is, is telling you how it is that they've come to be Christians, and what it is to be a Christian. He comes into chapter 2, and he tells them how they were dead in trespasses and in sins, and how God's grace reaches down and blesses the sinner, brings them out of that dead place, and they are born again by God's Spirit. He also tells us that there is now no difference between the Jew and Gentile. There is a reconciliation between Jew and Gentile. There is no difference. It is Jesus Christ that has done away with the, the barriers and the differences that there is between a Jew, a Gentile, a Samaritan, or anyone else. Ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And now he comes at the end of this chapter to really crown it all. I think this is where he's heading. To tell you something about what the church at Ephesus really is. And my friend, 
the church at Ephesus, what it is, is true of the church today. He is bringing us to see something of what the church really is. From being, from being uh, strangers, they become fellow citizens. From being foreigners, the Gentiles become saints in the same church. They are strangers and foreigners, but now fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Now, what, what are we to make of this, the household of God? That's a wonderful term, isn't it? The household of God. The church is just not some kind of, of worldly organization, the way you have other worldly organizations. The church, the true church, is the household of God. The first thing, then, that we notice is the unity of that church. Christ unites the church into one body, one household. It is, it is Jesus Christ that now brings the church. Through him, we both have access, one spirit unto the Father. Now you are no more strangers and foreigners, but you are the household of God. Think of how, uh, think of how the apostle puts it when he, he writes to the Corinthians in, in, in chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. For by one spirit are we baptized into one body, whether we be Jew or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many members, but one body. Think of how the apostle puts it there. One body in Jesus Christ. The church is, in fact, the household of God. And as such, we notice that all the members of this household are now related one to another. There is a spiritual relationship of being a part of God's household. Just as there is a household, a relationship in your household, when, when, when there is a household, there is a, a relationship that exists. Parents, grandparents, children. There is a relationship that exists. So it is in the household of God. There is now a relationship that ties God's people together. A relationship that is a new relationship. It's a relationship that even a child is born into this household. You ever heard of a household without children? We believe that children are part of God's household. That's why we baptize children, just as children in the Old Testament were circumcised. That was a sign that they were part of God's people, part of God's household. So we believe that children are part of this household. Children are not exempted from this household. God's household includes adults and children. And your children's children are all part of this household. But you see, within the outward visible church, there is the visible church. It's the one church. 
The outward visible church belongs to Jesus Christ. But within the visible church, there is the invisible church. There are those who are born again into God's household. And they receive all the benefits of this household. Just like any other household, some leave the household. Some never taste of these benefits, even though they are part of the outward visible church, just like a household. I've heard of people, you know, when and they grow up in a household and they go off and they're never heard of again. They leave the household. Parents today are parents. They don't know where their children are. They've gone off and they've disappeared. They never come back. And so it is that in this household, there are those who leave. They forsake the household. But within the, the visible household, there is a wonderful, uh, 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 within the visible church, there is the invisible church. There are those who truly know all the benefits of this household. Presbyterianism, in many respects, seeks to emulate the oneness that there is in God's church. Presbyterianism is a form of church government where brethren come together around a confession of faith. And they vow to assert, maintain, and defend this confession of faith. It's symbolic of the oneness of God's church. Now, it doesn't mean to say that because we are a Presbyterian church that nobody else will ever be saved outside of our communion. Or that we alone are the, the, the ones who will be saved. Because as you see here, Paul says that all barriers, whether Jew or Gentile, bond or free, all these differences are overcome in Jesus Christ. What makes you part of God's visible church is that Jesus Christ is there preached. Jesus Christ is lifted up. Part of the visible church is, it's not just the household of God, but when he speaks to the Galatians, he says, it is the household of faith. That's a, a wonderful thing, isn't it? Salvation by faith. Faith alone. It's a wonderful mark of God's true church. We are saved not by works, but saved by faith. How wonderful that is. So therefore, now you have a household that is one. My friend, we are all part here today of God's household. The church belongs to Jesus Christ. It belongs to God the Father. And we are all part of that visible church. The question is, are we knowing the benefits, the spiritual benefits of being part of that visible church? Have we been born again into the invisible church? The church that is known and rests and trusts alone upon the Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing we are told about the church is this. It is built upon a wonderful foundation. You will have societies that will come and go. You will even have great empires that will come and go. The Roman Empire, the Babylonian Empire, the Grecian Empire, the, the Egyptian Empire, the British Empire. They come and they go. But here is a kingdom, here is a household 
Households. You know, you can come to a household, it becomes a great household, and then it falls away and it becomes nothing. The pharaohs are these great Chinese families. They come and they go. But here is a household that is built upon a unique foundation. One foundation. You are, no more, you are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. You see, it's not the apostles and the prophets that are themselves the foundation. It is Jesus Christ that is that glorious foundation. He is the chief cornerstone of that. The apostles and the prophets, it tells us that the same foundation, the word of God, in the Old Testament, is the same foundation as you find in the New Testament. There's not a different religion in the Old Testament and somehow a completely new religion in the New Testament. The prophets in the Old Testament, they had the same foundation, that is Jesus Christ himself. They were looking forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The saints of the Old Testament believed in the same Savior as you believe in today, Jesus Christ. And there was God building up this great foundation through the prophets and the apostles, and it is Jesus Christ himself. The Holy Spirit, using the apostles and the prophets, holy men of old, spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, leaving us a wonderful foundation upon which to turn. My friend, you can trust in the Bible. You can trust in the Bible we have today. The devil will come and always attack God's word. He did that in the Garden of Eden. He didn't come with a complete untruth. He came with a different version of the same word. But it was a lie. And the devil will come today with other versions. Not denying or, or, or completely overthrowing the gospel. But coming with a different version. My friend, that's the way the devil works. We have today a word that we can put our trust in. God has not only given it through the apostles and the prophets, he has preserved it for us down through the generations. And we can read today, the true church today has a wonderful foundation upon which this household has a wonderful foundation upon uh, which to build, and that is Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. No other foundation uh, other, no, no foundation has other, it can be laid than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. What a wonderful, wonderful way that foundation is. My friend, that you, that the foundation, if you, if you look for, for a hope, for time and for eternity, you have to have a foundation upon which to build. You don't have a foundation, then you're building upon sand. And if you build your house upon sand, you know what's going to happen. The Lord tells you. It will crash to the ground. My friend, if you don't have Jesus Christ, if you're not building for eternity upon Jesus Christ, 
you're building upon shifting sand. Here is a foundation that is sure, that is steadfast. It's God in covenant with his people. Even David himself at the end of his reign, looking back on his reign, could say, my, my house was not so before God. It wasn't what it should have been. But yet, he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure. This is all my hope. This is all my desire. My friend, today, the word of God, Jesus Christ, the foundation of this household. But the third thing you see, if, you, if we see the unity of this household and the foundation of this household, you see how it's fitly framed together. Fitly framed together. You go to any household. And within that household, you, you'll have different people, different in any household. Nobody is the same. Even in our own households, there's nobody the same. We're all different. But, and that's true of this household. There are different parts to this household. Different people in this household. Different churches in this house. Different denominations in this household. But look what he says. All the building. In whom all the building fitly framed together. Every single part of God's house has a part to play. You might think to yourself today, well, what can I do for the church? What's my role? I'm not a minister. I'm not an elder. I'm not a deacon. I read this whole household, all the household, every single part of this household is needed. And all have their part. To play. Think again, going back to Paul's epistle to the Corinthians and 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, just the, the previous chapter to the last that we, we, we read. And there the apostle says, And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of thee, of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honourable, upon these we bestow much more abundant honour. Our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honour to that part which like that, that there should be no schism in the body. My friend, even the weakest Christian, is necessary in the body of Jesus Christ. Even the most insignificant Christian is necessary in a congregation of God's people. God has tempered the body together. And as he tempers that body together, they are fitly framed together, every part necessary in God's house. So it is that he says that they grow up. In whom all the, the building fitly fainted, groweth unto an holy temple of the Lord. Growing. My friend, do you know today that God's church 
is growing. You look in Edinburgh here, you look in Scotland here, and you say to yourself how poor the church is. You look at it and you say to yourself, the church is in a poor state. My friend, the church today is growing, and it will continue to grow until the whole building is, is established. The church of Christ, the household of God, is not yet complete. The household has not all been gathered in. And this world will continue until the last of God's elect people, those whom he has chosen in Christ, they will continue, and it will continue in this world until the last of the household has been gathered in. It's like that, that parable. You know, go out into the highways and the byways. Go out and preach to those in the highways and the byways. People, people always homing in on that, and it's right that we do. The gospel is to go out into the highways and byways. So what's the purpose? That my house will be God. God's marriage supper, the marriage supper of the Lamb, as was said before, there will be no empty seats. There will be no empty places. Every single seat at that marriage supper will be filled. My house might be filled. And the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is a building that is in progress. Next time you pass by a building and you see them raising up this new building, you remember, you think to yourself, that's like the church. That church, that building there is in progress. It's going up one stone upon another. Peter refers to that, doesn't he? One spiritual stone being built upon another spiritual stone. The church of Jesus Christ is growing day by day. And even the stones that are there, God, by his grace, makes them to grow. You see, this is all the work in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple of the Lord. It's all in Christ. It's in him. That is how the church grows. The church does not grow necessarily in terms of numbers. It grows spiritually in Jesus Christ. It grows in Jesus Christ. And then we discover the purpose of this household. In whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Notice again, in whom, in Christ. You see how ridiculous it is to many pulpits today that you will go and Christ is not even mentioned. They will tell you about green issues. They will tell you about global warming. They'll tell you about all the charitable works. My friend, the Apostle Paul was, was, was absorbed in Jesus Christ. He says, here is the very purpose of the household of God. The very purpose that in Jesus Christ, in faith, by faith in him, Jesus Christ in the midst of this household. 
Jesus Christ being formed in the hearts of sinners. Being renewed in the image of God. Being made into the image of Jesus Christ. That's this household. And when we come, the, the outward visible church, spoken of in verse 19, now becomes more particular. In Christ, there is a building going on here. In Christ, there is an habitation of God. The church is God's habitation. My friend, have you ever thought that? God's house is God's habitation. That's why we now have one man in the door. We had that before COVID. We have that now. Because when we come into God's house, we don't go back and forth. We sit and prepare for the worship of God's house in God's house. This is God's house. We reverence God's house. We come into God's house. When there is a call to worship, it's a call to worship God. The church is God's habitation. God the Father. You notice here in whom ye also are building together for an habitation of God. In whom is Christ. And it's through the Spirit. So here it is God the Father. God the Father dwells in the midst of his people. By Jesus Christ. And through the Spirit. See the threefold aspect here. The triune God. Dwelling in the midst of his people. The triune God dwelling among his people. God the Father. God the Son. God the Holy Spirit. God's habitation. And it's through the, the work of the Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit. How is God dwelling in the midst of his people? Through the Spirit. How is God the Father dwelling among us? Through the Spirit. It is the, the Holy Spirit that blesses the church. You think of, it's almost as though he's talking here about the, the, the Shekinah glory in the midst of God's people. It's as though you are a temple. You are the temple of the living God. And it's the Holy Spirit who unites the church. It's the Holy Spirit that brings before us the foundation of the church. It is the Holy Spirit. He is the one who, who reveals to us Jesus Christ in the Word. He is the one that dwells in the midst, not just of the church, but in his people. In the people. You think of uh, going back to the Old Testament, to Zechariah, and uh, to Zerubbabel in the Old Testament. What a difficult job Zerubbabel had. What a difficult job Joshua, the high priest, had. Joshua was the high priest, and he was to wash, he was to, to come and represent God's people. What a difficult position it was. But he has shown that it is Jesus Christ. He has shown that it is Christ 
that stands in his place and speaks on his behalf. This is a brand that is plucked from the burning. Joshua is encouraged. What he cannot do, Jesus Christ is going to do. But then Zerubbabel comes, and he's brought back down as well after the captivity. And it's his job to build the walls and, and build the temple. And the people are discouraged. How is Zerubbabel going to accomplish this mighty work? Well, God comes to Zechariah the prophet and he shows him a picture of a golden candlestick. This golden candlestick with a gold bowl and then seven, seven stems coming out of it. And he says to Zechariah, Zechariah, what do you see? What does it mean? Zechariah says, I don't know. What does it mean? The Lord says to Zechariah, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Joshua is encouraged. When the, the, the angel of the Lord stands, when the accuser comes and he stands on his behalf, and now Zerubbabel is encouraged in the work of this of, of rebuilding, because it's not him that will do it. It's the Holy Spirit that will bless. You're, you're builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit today who is building the church. It is the Holy Spirit today, not the, even the apostles and the prophets. They were used in, in, in that foundation in displaying the Lord Jesus Christ. Preachers of the word can go out and preach. But my friend, it's the Spirit. The Holy Spirit we need today. If I were to ask you today, what does the church in Arthur Street need? You might say, well, we need a lot of people coming into the pews. My friend, that would be great. But what we need is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, that is the habitation of God's house, that, that, is, that dwells in the midst of his people. And if you think of all that, that's said here about how this is the household of God, how every aspect of this building fitly frames together, every bit of it is fitting as it should, every single person in it, and that this building is still going on, it's not completed, but it is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, the church and the believer, the true believer, is the dwelling place of God. What do you think then of the church? Well, Adam Clark, it's nine things. I'm not going to get another nine points. It just gives you nine points that he had when he thinks upon the church of Jesus Christ. He said nine things. There is nothing more noble than the church of Jesus Christ. Nothing more noble. It is God's household. There is nothing, secondly, more worthy of reverence. Because God dwells in the midst of his people. Thirdly, there is nothing more ancient than the church of Jesus Christ. 
and back through the apostles, right back into the prophets of the Old Testament. There is nothing more noble, nothing more worthy of, of reverence, nothing more ancient than the Church of Jesus Christ. And there is nothing more solid. Not even the gates of hell will prevail against God's church. Because it is truly founded upon a foundation that is immovable. It cannot be moved. It is solid. So there is nothing more noble, nothing worthy of reverence, nothing more ancient, nothing more solid, and nothing so high. This building. This building is in this world. And my friend, this building reaches right up into heaven itself. Is there any other building that can do that? The Tower of Babel, they sought to build a tower that would reach up into heaven. What, what happened? Absolute confusion. But the Church of Jesus Christ is a building that spans this world where there is the church militant and reaches up into heaven where there is the church I am. Nothing more noble, nothing more worthy of reverence, nothing more ancient, nothing more solid, nothing so high, and nothing so perfect as the church of Jesus Christ. My friend, you look around and see all that is imperfect, even in the church, even in yourself. If you are one of God's people, you look at yourself. Before you look at anybody else, look at yourself, and you will find that there are many, many, many imperfections. But God looks upon his church in love through Jesus Christ. My friend, there is nothing more perfect than God's church. And nothing so beautiful, he said, not only perfect, nothing so beautiful as God's people coming to worship God and to call upon his name. Think of all that the world has today that it thinks of as beauty. You go into the Garden of Gethsemane and there's a garden that you would say is full of beauty. My friend, where is the beauty? It's the Christ that is there in the dark of that night. There is nothing so beautiful as the bride of Christ. And there is nothing, uh, and there is nothing, there's nothing noble, more worthy of reverence, ancient, solid, so high, so perfect, so beautiful, and nothing more spacious. And the church of Jesus Christ. It spans Jew and Gentile, bond of free. There is no division in this world but that a sinner can come, and as many as will come, and as many as will seek the Lord, there's room for every single sinner that calls upon his name. What organization can ever do that? What organization would ever be able to accommodate a number that even the stars in heaven can't 
and comprehend. Nothing so spacious. And finally, nothing so divine as God's heart. Nothing so divine as God's Is that how you view the church of Jesus Christ today? You see, the world looks on, the world will pass by there, and they'll see a few people in here, and they'll think to themselves, well, they're just another religion. They're Christians. They're no different to Roman Catholics. They're no different to Muslims. They're no different to Hindus. They're just another religion, my friend. Not true. Not true. The church of Jesus Christ and the church, the visible church, belongs to him. And the invisible church, within the visible church, is truly his and received the blessings. And my friend, there is nothing more noble, nothing more worthy of reverence, nothing so ancient, nothing so solid, nothing so high, nothing so perfect, nothing so beautiful, nothing more spacious, and nothing so divine as God's habitation, God dwelling in the midst of his people. We're part of God's outward visible church. We should rejoice coming to God's house, being part of God's people. We should rejoice coming to worship God because we are going to God's house. And when we come into God's house, we should take our seat and reverently bow our head and prepare for worship. We should try to, to make sure two things. First of all, that we receive all the benefits that are to be had in God's house. These benefits are to be found in Jesus Christ alone. They're not found in a, merely in a denomination. They're not found in Jew or Gentile, bond or free. They are found alone. Have you been born again into this household, spiritually? You've been born physically, perhaps, into this household. Your parents were part of the church, and you've come to the church, and you've been born. That's a wonderful privilege. Our children are not like the children of the world. Our children are God's children. They are part of God's church. And as children raised up in this in the church, have our children been born again in Jesus Christ? And secondly, if you are one of God's people, then I, I think I think it's uh, was it Kennedy that says, "Don't ask what your country can do for you; ask what you can do for your country." You're part of God's household. Don't just ask, "What will the household do for me?" the whole household fitly framed together needs the strongest and the weakest. Ask, what can you do for this household? That may be simply engaging in prayer for God's people, for one another, praying for one another, spiritually being united to one another, recognizing Christ in one another. 
so that the household will be blamed. Not just as individuals, but as one body in Jesus Christ. Let us join together in prayer. Let us pray.